ladies and gentlemen, What's up, everybody? This is Wildcat Radio 2.0. I'm Adam Green. He's Brett Barry, and we're recording this on Thursday, April 8th. And if we were doing this earlier this week, maybe two or three days ago, we've been only talking about the women's basketball team that fell just short against UConn. And we're going to get into that a little bit later. P.J. Brown from the Arizona Daily Star is going to join us to break down the women's basketball team. But, Brett, <laughs> Sean Miller is no longer the coach at the University of Arizona. That announcement came out on Wednesday. It had been rumored, it had been thought like, hey, they haven't given him an extension yet, you can't really go forward without an extension, so either extend or fire, and Arizona fired to 12 seasons, Sean Miller is out. I'm, I'm, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, at least we're not having to hear the same non-Sean Miller story for one more more pot. Um, There is some finality, which is, whether you wanted it to be this or not, Finality is kind of nice. Yeah, I mean, at least we made it as long and painful as possible as a program. <laughs> Life as an Arizona um, fan, that's what you get. Long and painful. I believe it's actually, I think it's, I think I've heard it was 12 years to the day of his uh, his uh, press conference, too. Um, yeah, so it, it, it finally happened. Um, you know, it's, I, I, I think on the Twitter handle, the Wildcat Radio 2.0 Twitter handle said, it's a very tenuous time right now if, if you're in the Arizona program. Um, you know, there, you know, <laughs> personally, I'm very excited that I don't have to hear anybody's awful Sean Miller takes, which I consider everyone's Sean Miller takes, basically, because <laughs> you, I've, I've talked about that on the show a lot. Because mm-hmm. um, I think everybody has a very strongly held opinion blissfully ignores the evidence to the contrary if you're pro sean miller anti sean miller so at least now we won't have to hear that but now it's a very critical time for the program uh you know you you can't mess this coaching search up you can't let it linger for too too much longer as it kind of already has been with the uncertainty and the cranberries (laughs) well you know i'm just saying like the roster yeah, that's pretty good is, yeah, it's, it's all right yeah. <laughs> um you know it's the you know we both talked about we think this roster as it was with the incoming class looked like it had a lot of a lot of upside you know it was in a lot of preseason rankings you know it, it feels very analogous um to the jed fish hire where you might have to recruit guys out of the transfer portal if you're the if you're the new coach Maybe, but- um to that extent, too, like and this is where it's different for people. And then, like when Kevin Sumlin was hired, I don't think there was anyone saying, "But why would you do that?" He was doing fine, right? Like that wasn't the case with Sean Miller. And we had talked about this really shortly after the season ended. You could make the case that things were not going in the right direction. That the last three seasons—I mean, 17 wins in 2018, 2019, 21, two seasons ago during the pandemic season. So they would have made the tournament, but who knows how? No one was expecting much of them. This year, 17-9, and nine, fifth place in the Pac-12, where they were predicted. And like I do believe they were on the upswing this past season and with the roster that they had coming back or we think was coming back. 
But at the same time, that's not a guarantee. And does this roster have a national championship ceiling? Does it have a Final Four ceiling? Maybe. And, and so there's an argument to be made that he had peaked four years ago, five years ago, and since the FBI stuff happened, Sean Miller couldn't get it done, and it's time to move on. Absolutely, I understand that. The other argument is, well, his floor is still pretty high, and by firing him, you risk losing members of this team, losing the recruiting class and whatever, and then to your point, like they have to get the replacement higher right. Because yeah. I remember when Arizona went through this 12 years ago, really in the post-loot years, when the interim coaches, Kevin O'Neill, Russ Pennell, and before they hired Sean Miller, there was this thought of, well, how strong is this brand really? You know, like, yes, Lute Olson built a great program. Can it survive without Lute Olson? And Sean Miller came in, and to his credit, built it back up. They're in a good place right now. I mean, outside of the sanctions that might be coming, the brand itself is still pretty highly thought of, right, nationally. Arizona basketball did not go anywhere. Well, does it matter then, like, they, do they need to get the right guy right now because are they still in danger of fading into obscurity, fading into irrelevance, as a brand, or as a brand strong enough to attract a high-quality coach because it's Arizona, right? Because this is Arizona, and that's what we're about to find out because Sean Miller was good. He wasn't great. He never got them to a Final Four, three Elite Eights, and the last few years have not been that strong. You know, they haven't won a tournament game since 2017, and they lost in the Sweet 16 to a Xavier team that they shouldn't have lost to. You know, they should have lost to Gonzaga in the Elite Eight the next game, but they, they lost in the Sweet 16. <laughs> so since then, if that was the peak, if that was it for them, then the last four seasons have been, eh. And also, <laughs> yeah, but but see, this is that's a good example of where I'd say you can also be, you know, I'm not trying to be an apologist, but like, yeah, he hasn't won a, t- a tournament game since 17. Well, they didn't have the opportunity to last year with a team and, that was certainly going to be in the tournament, and probably this year. And I've made that argument and, with people on Twitter, and I get that. Yeah, and I, I and like, you know, yeah, fifth place in the Pac-12, of which three of the Pac-12 teams made the Elite Eight, right? Um, yeah, somebody on on the on on the Twitter.com machine. Um, I, I, I'm, they kind of made my point for me that I've been saying for months that I think if Sean Miller had made a Final Four at any point, if Brandon Ashley doesn't break his foot, if Jamel Horn's three falls, I don't think he's fired. Um, and it showed up even in some of the fans. Uh, my personal favorite was somebody arguing with me that you know the difference between Sean Miller and Bill Self is Bill Self, you know, wins. And I'm like. Oh, Bill Self that just lost by 34 points in the second round to USC to but, Arizona Bill. But even it's, then, like, but it's, it's where I'm, I'm just saying, it's, you're it's not wrong. everybody can backfill. You're, you're not, That's you're not wrong. And winning, like, they didn't, even Arizona, Dave Hickey, Robert Robbins, President Robbins, and their statements about this, they said it was because of performance. It was without cause, right? Which is basically saying, we think we just need to replace you. It has nothing to do with the FBI stuff. Whether you, I mean, it, it does, right? <laughs> it absolutely does, because to the, in their estimation, Whatever baggage he still has, which he's had for the last four years nearly, was not worth keeping him around anyway. He was not worth that baggage, which you can make that case because if you're not winning, there's still all that happening, right? The, the jury's still out. The IRP still hasn't ruled. Like, you're going to have to deal with something because of something that happened under Sean Miller's watch. Whether he had anything to do with it or not, it happened under his watch. So you can make that case. It just wasn't worth it anymore because the on-court performance started to lag. But I, I agree with you. If Jamel Horn's shot goes in, if... Brandon Ashley doesn't break his foot. If Sam Decker doesn't decide he wants to make threes for like the last time in his career, Arizona makes a Final Four. But those things happen, right? Uh, and Arizona did not make the Final Four. And the last time we saw Arizona in the tournament, they had the number one pick in the NBA draft, DeAndre Ayton. They had a junior Alonzo Trier. They had a sophomore Raleigh Alkins. 
They had what should have been a really good team. And granted, they had the FBI stuff. There was that season where it all went down and Miller missed a game at Oregon. There was a lot of drama. The dark cloud was surrounding them. But they got their asses kicked by Buffalo in the first round. So the question was, is Sean Miller the guy to bring Arizona back to a level that's competing for the Final Four? And the answer is a hard maybe. It was a hard maybe, I guess, because he's not going to be he's not going to be that guy anymore. Uh, but that was an interesting thing to me in that they said it was without cause. And I've seen a lot of people that thought that he was going to willing to coach his final season and to see what happens. He liked the team. Yeah, that's all well and good. But how many times did all of us say you can't let him go in as a lame duck coach? Because if you fire him then after next season, well, you've lost an entire recruiting class. So next guy's screwed. <laughs> you know? Like it's just it wasn't tenable to do that. So Arizona decided to fire Sean Miller or a mutual like a parting of ways. They say he still gets paid, you know, so good for him, whatever. Like the timing is what weirded me out a little bit because the season ended what five weeks ago. And I don't think anything's happened between then and now that made Sean Miller look worse. In fact, you could argue the tournament made him look better. You were saying fifth place in a pac 12 that had three teams <laughs> to the second to last weekend or whatever. Like, Hey, maybe that's not a bad finish after all. Right. Mm-hmm. But they waited so long to do this. I'm just like, okay, did it, did they have to do that? And some of the names that we're hearing that are rumored to the job, Tommy Lloyd, the main one from Gonzaga, you could argue, well, if he's the guy, then maybe they did have to wait until Gonzaga was done playing and they have any the national championship game. But still, it seemed like a long time to wait if you knew you were going to do this. Yeah, I, I, I don't have any problem that Sean Miller was, was fired. My big frustration as an Arizona fan is how the whole situation has been handled going all the way back to the morning of the FBI raids and the ESPN story. You know, um, I, I think the administration has largely bungled it a little bit um, and right up to the, the, the odd timing that you're talking about. But, you know, if you want to, you know, far be it for me to give a benefit of the doubt to the current administration, <laughs> but, you know, maybe the timing question is, uh, explained by some of those things that you're talking about. Like, if it is Tommy Lloyd, maybe there is already a handshake deal in place, um, and that's where, why the timing is so strange. Um, it may, I, You know, I said it's a tenuous time for the program. If that's the case, and, and Tommy Lloyd is your guy, and you got him, and you had the weird timing to do that, and he's announced in the next, you know, couple days, couple by weeks. By the time you listen to this podcast that he's announced as the coach. Yeah. Um, then you know what? Okay, I feel a lot better about it from the the program's perspective. Um, if I get where I get real nervous is what if what if he he gets cold feet and spurns you and you just kind of didn't exactly treat Sean Miller with the most amount of respect on the way out the door. You know, it makes it harder to get a big name coach to want to come to a big name program. Um, and you know, you talked about Arizona still has this big national brand. An unpopular opinion, but Arizona fans have a higher perception of their band brand than it is nationally. Oh, I agree with that. Days. I agree with you. Uh, you know, I, I think I joke that uh, um, Arizona fans want nothing less than John Wooden in his prime for their next coach, and it's just like, okay, guys, you know, <laughs> let's let's be realistic here. And and it, honestly, in my opinion, Tommy Tommy Lloyd might be a the 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 highest risk but highest reward candidate that's been bandied about. Um, and if the timing all works out with that, then then maybe that makes sense. I mean, I think everybody else that's been rumored is maybe Eric Musselman, but that may be just, you know, smoke to get him a raise. Say Damon Stoudemire, Miles Simon, the alumni. Alums, yeah, yeah, I think, you know, I'm not, I am far from the guy that says you go with the alum um, automatically. Right now, it almost feels like 
uh, Tommy Lloyd is the Brent Brennan of the, the, the of the basketball coaching search, where it seems like oh he's the obvious one and we're all pretty sure it's going to happen. Uh, maybe maybe that's where I get nervous about it because boy if you get spurned there I I personally don't know if Damon Stoudemire or Miles Simon are the answer. I mean I don't know if Tommy Lloyd is the answer. I hope so. Um, I hope whoever it is is absolutely successful. But it's very tenuous until I see that person get on the get you know get in the job and then. I think it's going to be it's going to be something to watch how they hold together and build a roster for next year and how it goes because I think I think the Sean Miller fan I, I th- unfortunately I think the hangover of the Sean Miller fanboys and the Sean Miller haters is still going to be there for a while they're just going to s- switch roles for a year or two. <laughs> well, there's um, going to be and, the comparisons no matter what. Like, yeah. And cuz Sean Miller there's a lot of people who are still in his camp and I was on team extension absolutely I was. You know, a favorable to the program, and if more comes out, if you want to cut your losses, then you could do that and move on. But what I keep going back to is they had to do something. We knew that. And if they decided month a month ago to move on from Miller, okay, fine. You know, I can respect that. Like, you don't need to give a reason. They were average as a basketball. You know, better than average. I thought it was a good season. I wrote that for Desert Swarm and said on this show, like, I thought there was improvement. I like the core that was built. I like the roster they have. I do worry about the alumni. Everybody points to, like, Damon Simon is a coach at Pacific. Fine. He's doing a decent job there. But Miles Simon with the Lakers are great. You know, like, to me, an alumni thing should be a tiebreaker, all things being equal. But they should not be, that should not be the reason they get the job. You know, and what about Damon Stoudemire? Like, if he wasn't an Arizona guy, would anyone be saying Damon Stoudemire should be the guy at Arizona? And people are like, what the hell are you doing? The Pacific coaches had a winning season? Like, he would not be Arizona good. Miles Simon would just be an assistant with the Lakers. He would, you, Arizona fans wouldn't care. And, like, you could argue that Tommy Lloyd, if they go with him, and he does seem to be the name that has the most smoke coming from that. Well, he's the top assistant at Gonzaga. He's been there for 20 years. And is Arizona, should Arizona be getting better than someone's top assistant? Some people think that, but even Sean Miller, he was just a coach at Xavier for a handful of years before he went to Arizona, right? He had the John Calipari backing, but if Arizona wanted to get, like, there's no John Calipari out there who's interested in this job right now that we know of, like, and that's where it was 12 years ago. People be like, oh, it's going to be him, and if being Sean Miller, it worked out okay. So I had a friend who reached out to me when Miller got I was like, who do you want to get hired? I'm like, I'm not in that race because I don't know enough of the candidates, but I do tend to believe that the way this went down that they were doing a lot of vetting, a lot of backroom feelers to see who would be interested before they decided to fire Sean Miller, and that they went about it the way they did and made the move to fire him because they have their guy. And the timeline leads me to it's Tommy Lloyd because he's the only one of that group that you would have to wait on. But that that's how I see this going. Like, I did not like that it took so long. Like, I didn't. I'm like, mm-hmm. what are you waiting for, right? Like, you know, he's out there still recruiting. He's still out there being the coach, putting out videos for Adia Barnes and his basketball team. Like he was doing all the things that an Arizona basketball coach should be doing, but in a time where it's like, well, in those five weeks, you know, was he a dead man walking, so to speak? It certainly seems that way because again, nothing. I don't think anything changed from the time they lost to Oregon to end the season until the time the time they decided to fire him. Like nothing happened to make him look worse. Nothing came out with the FBI or the IARP. They didn't lose any more games. Their RPI went up. They <laughs> were like their Ken Palm <laughs> rankings went up like during the course of the tournament. So that that's the only thing that weirded me out with it was just the timing. Otherwise, I can I can understand firing him, and I just hope they get the higher right. Yeah, I think most of the, I think that's all fair. I think I do think there's a very real chance they were the administration was 
less than respectful to Sean Miller. I th- I think Robbins and Hickey truly don't like Miller as a person, and I think that's why they kind of treated him that way. And I could I can certainly understand that because Sean Miller is not a laid back dude, um, and not somebody to sit you know sit idly by against strong egos. But you know I think part of me the cynic in me also wonders if the uh, postseason ban self imposition was also maybe when the decision was decided <laughs> you know even if they won't ever admit it um one thing i did want to mention that i noticed in the press conference i think it was uh you know justin spears of the arizona daily star asked dave hickey a question and uh he I, i'm going to read the quote he said ultimately that decision was made late last evening or early this morning prior to arriving at the office of meeting with coach coach sean miller Maybe I'm reading too much into this, but boy, the word or there tells me Dave Hickey had nothing to say in this. It was, you know, he do, he if he was making the decision, he knows when he made the decision. And I, I don't believe the decision was made, was it Wednesday morning? Because oh, no, he's, he's lying. Yeah, well, of course. And you're not going to get the right, not going to be like, yep, we made the decision two months ago or three months ago. When we, when we did the self-imposed ban, that was the moment we knew we were going to fire yeah. Sean Miller. But I, I have seen, and we were talking about before the show, that there's this impression that, Arizona did Sean Miller dirty, right? Like that they fired him in a way that was, and I can I don't know if you've ever been fired from a job, Brett. Like I have been never once did I feel like I was treated with respect. (laughs) There's never a respectful being fired, you know, because you're always like, I don't deserve this. What the hell's wrong with you? And Sean Miller, he had to know it was coming. I would think by the fact that they didn't give him a contract extension. And I just, How's the best way to say this? Like Arizona, you could argue they treat him poorly, but again, they stood with him since 2017, since all that went down, right? They let him keep coaching. They stood with him. And I think they only decided to move on when the results weren't there, what they wanted, and they had a replacement lined up. Because people could say their administration did him wrong. And maybe in the last month you could argue that, but at the same time, how many other administrations would have stuck by their coach for the last four years, especially one who's as abrasive as Sean Miller? You know, it would have been easy, and this is where Arizona, if they, if they did this to try to cut off the IARP, be like, hey, see, look, we're doing everything right. Like, no, if you were firing Sean Miller because you wanted to be in compliance, you fire him in September of 2017. Yeah, and, exactly. So I don't think, I don't buy that, but Dave Hickey and President Robbins, they did stand with Sean Miller for a long time, so maybe to them it was performance-based. Like, finally, the performance didn't warrant the the baggage. You know, they that the, see- the pendulum swung the wrong way, and they decided to make the move. But see, here's where I would say that I go back to, I think I, my biggest frustration is not that he's fired or or even the performance of the last couple of years, because I think the the administration was kind of, uh, not, pardon the expression, but they were trying to be halfway crooks, right? Like they're standing behind him, but not really, but kind of. I think the administration, like it, it would have made more sense to fire him several years ago, which I think would have also not been the right decision at the time. Um but you, you you committed for so long, and then I I don't know. There's you, you better hope that the next coach, a that you have a handshake agreement signs up and that he does well, because it it reads to me like they made this decision a while ago, mm-hmm. and they just didn't and they just didn't let Sean Miller know, and they just kind of I think they were basically <laughs> dare I think they were daring him to quit. I, 
I'd ask if he really. I'd ask if he really thinks Sean Miller had no idea. But then again, he's also the guy who tried to claim he had no idea what Book Richardson and Joe Pasternak were up to and Mark Phelps. So oh, it's no. possible he, he, he didn't do. notice that too. If we're gonna if we're gonna oh, give him the benefit of doubt in one way, <laughs> I think Sean Miller knew the whole time that they were maybe thinking about that. And the funny thing is, all of the decisions in my mind of the administration from the last four years painted themselves into this inevitable corner. And, you know, the fact that the fact that Arizona basketball was as successful as it was post the FBI raids and ESPN story, I actually think is a freaking miracle. I don't think any of us expected Arizona to even do that well with all of that cloud hanging over. Um, so it's 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 hard for me to say anything other than all of the circumstances and the handling of it made this long, painful, drawn out ending inevitable. And it's it, and the divorce, you know, it. It felt like one of those very religious divorces where people really just don't want to, uh, they 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 can't they don't want to break the legal contract, right? Yeah. And they're kind of they're trying to have the other one break up with the other person, uh, even though neither one really wanted to do it. And at this point, it was they. It feels like they 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 painted themselves in the corner and they made a decision, and I you know God willing they have their guy, and I'm absolutely hopeful that that guy is you know, as successful as possible and brings Arizona to prominence, but we'll see. Yeah. And like Sean Miller, when you look back at his legacy with Arizona, it's complicated, right? The first half was certainly better than the last half <laughs> because they were a Jamel Horn shot away from a final four. They were a Brown Ashley foot injury away from probably winning a national championship. That's more hypothetical than the previous example, but <laughs> you know, like they were close. They were in that group of teams that had a chance every single year. And then the last few years, they weren't in that group. And you could argue how much it was Sean Miller's fault. You know, what did he know? Like, what did he do? What did he know? We're not entirely sure. But the IARP, the incident, may not care either way. But it's certainly... Like, how do you remember Sean Miller, the coach of the Wildcats? Oh, it's it's a weird... It's a weird bipolar... Right? <laughs> ...thing, because, like... Both in on the court performance or you know, off the court, you know, I think of the guy who was, you know, the the team the teams that were the most feared maybe for a few years that they just ran into a buzzsaw in Wisconsin, or the last couple of years where they were you know struggling to be competitive. I think of the guy who in press conferences was one of the most thoughtful leaders and using every word intentionally to try to reach his team and build a program and narrative intricately. And the guy who would scream and spit in Caleb Tarzuski's face like a raving lunatic. And also the guy and who like, would call a timeout in the Pac-12 tournament for Kadeem <laughs> Allen to get that so time. That was and, for FDU. Yeah. <laughs> and pointed to their bench, yeah. He, it's a very complicated legacy, and he didn't make a Final Four. He did not win a national championship, but you could argue he probably salvaged Arizona basketball after those two interim years with Kevin O'Neill and Russ Pennell. Arizona was on, I mean, I want to say they're on the brink. We don't know. Like, there's no revision, so we can't do the alternate timeline. But Sean Miller got them to an Elite Eight his second season. You know, that was a Jamel Horn shot. And got Arizona back to a level that was one of the best in college basketball. And that was not a given. That was not a foregone conclusion when he took over. So to that extent, I forget whose article it was, but it was like he was almost a victim of his own early success. You know, he got them so close early on where winning him grand this past season was just average. The uh, tournament ban probably didn't help things. And, of course, the FBI stuff didn't help things over the last few years because any momentum they had was just gone. But Arizona, his floor was not that low 
but the ceiling wasn't that high recently. And if you're Arizona, and you can make the case, as I think Dave Hickey was trying to do, that performance was the issue here. And if that's if that's if you believe that, if you're on board with that, then it probably was time to make a change. It was time to move on. It doesn't mean Schumer was a bad coach or a bad hire 12 years ago. It just means his time had run its course, you know. And I'm not going to argue with that. But a lot of it is contingent on who's the next person that they hire because, obviously, it is a tenuous time for the program. Never mind the roster that they have right now. Just if you miss, where does this program go? They were fifth in the Pac-12 with Sean Miller this season. They can't be falling lower than that. You know, that has to be the basement for them is fifth, upper half of the conference because USC is getting better. UCLA just gave Mick Cronin an extension. He got to the final four. Oregon is Oregon. Like Those are three schools that have – facilities they have money they have seemingly stable coaches going on right there but arizona could be in that level again arizona's not that far away it's still arizona for now well and i think in the in the short term you know the question to me is what happens with the roster going into next year and you know let's just operate under the assumption that the, the hot rumor of of tommy lloyd is the is the coach arizona's roster uh, you know, Tommy Lloyd is widely regarded as the number one international recruiter for college basketball, and Arizona's roster has kind of taken that Gonzaga model. So maybe he can, you know, maybe he has some credibility with uh, Azulis Tubelis. Maybe he has credibility with Kirk Carissa um, in being able to keep that roster held together. I, you know, I think there's, well, I think we're going to touch on later some some of the dominoes have already started to fall. Um, the thing that f- concerns me is. I think James Akinjo went from 99% coming back to maybe 50% coming back with Sean Miller leaving because I think he's a he's Sean Miller was his guy, mm-hmm. and that's a big loss. Um, you know, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a challenge. I think um, if the if I mean I'm I'm still not, despite the tournament success, I'm not convinced the Pac-12 conference was actually that great this year in basketball. Same, but, you know the same. There, it, so it's it's gonna be interesting to see who comes back, how they fill the roster spots um, and how they get buy-in. You know, like I said, I think it's almost analogous to, to the Jed fish. If, if it's no matter who it is, they got to try to keep a, a, a good roster together and maybe bring in some guys. And it's a different thing with transfer portal players these years, these, these days. Um, but then it's, you know, what, what's the, what's the identity of this program going to be, you know, right. under Sean Miller, at least when he started, it was, you know, we talked about it in football, they didn't have an identity uh, the last several years. In, at least in the early Sean Miller years, that was a that was a power running team disguised as a basketball Nasty team. Nastiness is required. They would beat you down with defense uh, and rebounding, and they would just grind out wins. Um, you know, and Sean Miller, to his credit, evolved in the last couple of years. Last, he, he, their offensive uh, efficiency rating was like in the top fifteen last year, which mm-hmm. was not a Sean Miller calling card in the early years. Um, but you know, what does that look like? What is, if it's Tommy Lloyd, do we be, do we you know, embrace a more Gonzaga-style approach? Is Sean Miller the best guy to lead that offensive-minded approach? You know, Tommy Lloyd, if he's the guy, or I mean, whoever they hire, right? If they're better, because Sean Miller, his calling card was that hard-nosed defense, the toughness, and he went away from that. And for whatever reason. And whatever model he was trying to turn into, more of that going with more of the European guys, which, I mean, the results were promising, very promising. But is he the guy to steward that type of model that type of team we don't know and for his to his credit he did evolve some and the rumors are he's going to go to the nba for a little bit and probably until the iarp stuff blows over he'll back he'll be back in college in a few years i'm sure you know like that's going to happen he'll get a second chance somewhere and i wish him good luck like i do 
I have no problem with Sean Miller. Just, yeah, he did his best. Cool. But where Arizona goes from here will be really, really interesting because it's not like the Jed Fish hire because Jed Fish was, well, what's the worst that can happen? Arizona loses another 12 games in a row. You know, here it's like, what's the worst that can happen? Well, a once proud program could could fall apart. So there is pressure on this hire that wasn't there with the Jed Fish hire. And to that point, though, Jed Fish wasn't the most popular pick for a lot of people. People wanted Brennan. They wanted Namatololo. There were anybody other than Jed Fish. And now, let's see, he was hired in December. So almost, you know, four months or so since he was hired, a lot of tunes have changed. He hasn't won a game yet. But people are feeling better about that hire seemingly day by day. The basketball coach will have a lot more pressure early on because they're going to be like, well, this team would have been fine with Sean Miller. You know, if you don't change coaches and you have all these guys on the roster, they won 17 games last year. They were predicted to be a top 15, top 25 team in most early picks after the championship game. They're like, yeah, Arizona's going to be good next year. Well, they still need to be good next year because if they're not, it's like, well, what were you doing? Why did you fire Sean Miller to win 16 games with a roster that people thought was going to win 23, 24? <laughs> so there is pressure right off the bat. And if it's Tom yeah. Lloyd, who's going to be a first-time head coach, okay, you're stepping I, into that. you know. But that doesn't mean he can't succeed. It doesn't mean whoever they hire won't succeed and won't end up being an improvement. Just there's a lot of pressure on this person, whoever it's going to be. Yeah, I, I personally look forward to whoever this new coach is uh, having the same exact record as Sean Miller the last two years, and all of the Sean Miller haters will say that, well, we need to give him some time. <laughs> um, you know, like I said, I think everybody, the the fanboys and the haters, are just gonna flip roles for a little while, and I'll just yell at both of them. Yeah. Um, you know, hey, maybe maybe we'll be will it'll work out beautifully, and uh, Lady Luck will strike us, and we'll have you know a, a new coach that is knocking on the door of the Final Four in year two, like Sean Miller. Um, but we'll we'll you know we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Well, that. That's on one program that's looking for a new coach at the time of recording. This is April 8th as we're doing this. We're going to take a break, and we come back. We're going to talk about a program that has their coach in place. It's done a great job. That's the Arizona women's basketball team with P.J. Brown from the Arizona Daily Star. Welcome back, and as promised, we are joined by P.J. Brown, who was in San Antonio covering the Arizona women's basketball team who had that incredible run. They fell ever so short or maybe slightly long as the last shot was but pj welcome back to wildcat radio 2.0 how you doing i'm doing fine we're trying to <clears throat> gather a little bit of energy and keep going here yeah I, when we last talked to us before arizona played uconn in the final four and we've had a huge game and i think brett had asked you you know to write your lead for arizona wins the game what happened and you pretty much nailed it but they get to the championship game, Stanford, who had beaten them twice this season. I guess they were saying the second time was closer than the first. Okay, neither one was a particularly close game down the stretch. But Arizona battled. There were a couple times they fell behind. You thought they were going to just lose track of the game. They fought back. Every single time, had the ball, Ari McDonald, a chance to win the game. If you're Arizona, obviously you want that shot to go in, but you probably can't really ask for much more than that. Not at all. I mean, you know, if it's coming down to a last second shot, you want it in Ari's hands because she's she brought you here, right? She's the one. She carried you for the last three years, and and the ball has to be in her hands. It was funny because somebody asked Adia Barnes in the press conference after, like, 
well, everybody knew the ball was going to go into Aries' hands, so why did you give it to her? And it was like, really? You would ask her that question? Who else is she going to give it to? Aries earned the right to have that. You know, the last time that Arizona beat Stanford, the ball was in Aries' hands in an overtime. She snaked through about four different Stanford trees and uh, made that layup, and they won in overtime by one point. So... You know, it's got to be airy. There was no question in, in any Arizona watcher's mind that the ball was going into Aries' hands. Well, and that was the one thing I remember thinking after the game because she was basically triple teamed and still got a great shot <laughs> When it's in the air, you think it has a chance to go in. But I remember thinking, yeah, on the one hand, everyone knew it was going to Airy, and maybe you'd, she'd be a great decoy. But then I'm like, if you're going to lose on a missed shot, the national champ, you're going to lose it on a missed shot. It has to be Airy. It can't be anyone else who, like, you obviously wanted to make the shot. The goal is to make it. But if you're going to lose on that shot, banking off the rim or whatever it is, she has to be the one who takes it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, think about it. If if somebody else would have, like, if Bendu had the last shot or something, can you imagine everybody would be like, Idea Barnes doesn't know how to coach. She didn't give it to Airy <laughs> McDonald. I mean, that would be the first thing people would say. Well, I mean, yeah, not not to make a funny, but it's it's a you look like a genius if you if Aerie McDonald hits a shot or if you use Aerie McDonald as a decoy and they win and you're no pun intended really you're in a no win situation if it doesn't work out as the coach right so why not put the ball in the best player's hands even Aerie McDonald had a bad game by her standard and had what twenty two points right oh yeah and she was the one at the end of the game who who brought him to that point right she hit three out of four of her free throws at the end she was doing what she was supposed to do so it made sense that she was the one who had it anyway um it's just the way it is but you know i think we talked about this on the the last time uh last week when we talked but you know adia always talks about it's not you don't lose it on that last shot It's always something small that you didn't do earlier in the game. And if you really look at the statistics in this game, there are two areas where that stands out, and that's the turnovers. They forced Stanford into 21 turnovers, right? But they only got 12 points out of that. Right. And typically when Arizona forces uh, their opponent into turnovers, they – they get at least the same number of points. So they should have had 21 points, 22 points, 25 points off of 21 point, 21 turnovers. Had they gotten, you know, one of those to convert, we're not talking about this. They win the national championship. That was the big thing. The other thing was the free throws. I think they missed, what was it, five? Five, yeah. Five free throws, yeah. Aerie went three for four down the stretch. But there was a point, I mean, in the beginning of the game, Sam Thomas was very aggressive, and she went to the line, and she's money on the line. And she shot a free throw, and it, like, boinked off the rim. And I was like, okay, what's going (laughs) on here? That's not normal. Sam hits that free throw, or somebody else hits one of their free throws. Shana missed a couple, I believe. Um, again, they win that game. They they really outplayed Stanford. 
And um, if you really want to know, the, let's look at it. They outplayed Stanford, and they should have won that game. But to, to your point, uh, I was looking at the scores. And I, I didn't realize this at the time, but Arizona actually outscored Stanford in the second, third, and fourth quarters. It was the slow start in the first quarter that they just couldn't quite you know, get over the hump. And Aaron McDonald's prayer three was it still had a chance of going in for a, a fadeaway contested three. Um, but, you know, I think there's still a lot. And you look at that game, like you look at, you mentioned uh, Shayna Pellington. She had a, one of her best games of the season. Great from, game. From what, from what oh, yeah. I understand. Um, it, you know, you, just, you look at her and you say, boy, you, if she just develops an outside shot, that she, she could be a real star, right? Uh, Stanford was challenging her to shoot, but she was still effective, especially on the defensive end. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to say that Arizona outscored them three quarters of the game and just couldn't quite get there. Um, but I guess... <laughs> You know, we were talking a little bit before the show, PJ, and I'd, I'd like to get your thought. We know Adam teased the the lead into the the final four matchup with UConn. I mean, we've talked about in the past, and you had that you you buried that great lead of uh, you know, Ari McDonald made a promise. Um, what's your perception of how how the team and the city and the school and the and the staff kind of reacted to just beating UConn? Because getting to the final four was one thing, beating UConn, who is the you know the 800 pound gorilla in women's college basketball that almost that almost feels as significant as it's like the national they didn't even beat, like them, just beat them brother they dominate they never trailed they in that dominated. game too it was an absolute yeah. like that was domination of UConn. i know it was incredible and you know the very interesting thing about it was was sort of the the atmosphere in the alamo dome so i want to bring you in there and what i felt and what i saw for the UConn game. So the NCAA put all of U of A fans, dignitaries, everybody wearing red, right? Red and blue on the, the stands that were opposite of the benches for the UConn game. It was McHale East. They did everything, cause I was sitting right behind them. They did everything they would do. You know, you stand until everybody scores and then you sit down and you end up standing most of the game because you're cheering. They're cheering on the Wildcats. Right. I mean, it was electric, that atmosphere. It was loud. It was um, Ari McDonald's dad couldn't sit down. He was pacing and jumping the whole time. I think somebody said they showed him on TV. Uh, it was what you would think I've never been to a national championship game, but to me that had the feel, right? That really had the feel of a national championship game and it was incredible. Uh, move on to Sunday, the NCAA, and I, I said this on something else, so I may get in trouble, but I don't care. I'm gonna I'm gonna call them out. The NCAA and their infinite non-wisdom broke up the um, broke up the team's supporters. So some of the U of A fans were on the same side this time, like the parents and, and like Jason Terry was over there and some of the old time, you know, the, the former women's basketball players who played with the DR came afterwards. They were on the same side, but there was a huge Stanford contingent. Then there was the dignitaries for Stanford sitting behind their bench and the, and the, the dignitaries for U of A behind their bench. And I call them dignitaries. It's the 
it's the Erica Barnes and the Dave Hickey's, Larry Scott was there, those types of people, right? They were all sitting over there. So what happened was that when you're watching the game, it's not that collective cheering. You hear a little bit there and a little bit there, and it's like nobody's at the game. So after the game, when Stanford wins and um, you everybody files out and Stanford's cutting down the net and the music is like there's a concert there and the confetti's falling on the floor on the ground and there it's I felt bad for the girls on that team because that there was like nobody cheering for them it just fell flat right because hardly anybody was there and Stanford fans are not known as really that they travel that well (laughs) Um, well, not like I, Arizona fans do, especially. No, not at all. And they sort of don't get like raucous or ex- really excited. I know I sat in the stands and watched Andrew Luck's entire career at, for, at Stanford Stadium and cheered for him when I wasn't a reporter <laughs> at that time. And um, yeah, everybody just sat there. They're, they're just not known for that. It's just really incredible. So you wouldn't even have known that there was, this was a national championship game. So the difference between the two games was really pretty incredible. And I asked Sam Thomas about this yesterday, because I did a story about her. It will be in, uh, that's in Friday's paper. And um, she said the one thing that she noticed, and this is very interesting, on the floor, they all stood there for a while. They they consoled Ari McDonald, who was really kind of emotional at that point. And then she said she didn't hear the music. She didn't hear the person on the loudspeaker say, and the national champions are the Stanford Cardinal. She said all she heard was this cheering and this chant go up, U of A, U of A. And that's all she heard. And she said for a moment, we had felt like we let everybody down and then we got this cheer and she said all we could do was wave and thank them like it just lifted their spirits and, and that's great i remember i was watching well last thing point about uh friday's game i was talking to my wife i remember hearing the u of a chance i'm like ooh, chills you know hearing u of a chance at the final four but i'm like if this was a normal year a packed arena and there'd be a lot of u of a fans who would travel because u of a fans travel and anyone who was at that game who wasn't U of A fan, was just there because they loved college basketball, would have been cheering for U of A to beat UConn as well. So that would have been loud as all get up on Friday. And then Sunday, yeah, you didn't quite hear that, but also the game of runs and the U of A fans had a few times to cheer, like really get into it. But like, what a game for that team. And we're talking to P.J. Brown, AZ Daily, Arizona Daily Star, was in San Antonio with the women's basketball team. And they got back to a, like a hero's welcome. At, at Arizona Stadium, it was awesome. Sam Thomas announced that she's coming back, which was just great news, I guess. Adia Barnes said she had to keep that secret for a while and then hope she didn't change her mind. But looking forward for this team because, obviously, they were good enough to make the Final Four, good enough to make a national championship game, good enough to win the national championship, but this wasn't supposed to be their year, right? This was kind of like the beginning of what we think is somewhat of a dynasty being built in Tucson, and... Arizona coming back, yeah, they didn't win the championship. It feels like they did. And to your point, the way everyone felt after that game, walking off of those chants, it doesn't feel like this was their shot. Like, yeah, they had a shot, but it doesn't seem like, well, they 
that was it. They're never getting back here. I know Adia said their, her plan is to get back over and over. Like, obviously, that's everyone's plan. But does it really have that feeling right now that this is just the beginning of something that could be special going forward? Absolutely. This team, this program will go back and back and back. Um, never count Adia Barnes out. She, If I were a betting person, all my chips in, are in on her. She's just... Um, She's just the right person in the right place in the right time for this. And um, what she has done so far is remarkable. And it's just going to go forward. You know, there were so many viral moments during this three-week run, whether it was the whole world being captivated by this lovable U of A team that nobody else gave a prayer to, right? Everybody, nobody respected them. The NCAA didn't include them in that video for the final four. People, people from all over the country were like, I'm rooting for U of A, right? And Adia Barnes had her viral moments of speaking out for women's rights Mm -hmm. and and women coaches. And then on the national uh, title game, She's back in the locker room at halftime. She's pumping breast milk for her child, and she's late getting back on the court. And Holly Rowe of ESPN starts talking about it on national TV. Well, that was a big moment. The other big moment that Adia Barnes had, and this is huge, is that every time a player made a mistake, like Trinity Baptiste maybe made a mistake or something, and she just smiled at her and said, get back on defense. Um, when Ari was emotional at the end of the game and felt so bad that she'd missed that shot, first person out there was Adia putting her arm around her star players, you know, around her star player. She did this numerous times during that game. And who sees this? The entire world sees that here is a caring, loving coach. Yes, you are in the middle of the national championship game. And yes, you want to win. But you can also be sensitive and you can be caring. And she knows that her team played their hearts out for them. And if you were a parent, wouldn't you want your daughter to play for her? And if you were a daughter, who a basketball player, wouldn't you want to play for a coach who did that? Well, and then the two days before that game, there was the other viral moment for her at the end of the UConn, which I... <laughs> It was a non-story, of course, like, and we could talk about why it became quote-unquote a story. There's reasons that are uncomfortable for a lot of people, but they're out there. But she didn't apologize, and she shouldn't have had to apologize. And if you're a player, don't you want a coach who's like, yeah, I mean, that's what you want from your coach. She's behind you 100%. She's going to go to bat for you. She's going to go to war with you. She's going to put you in the best position to succeed. And if you don't, she's going to be there for you either way. But when you're ready to celebrate when you have a right to celebrate. She's going to be right there with you. Like, that's what you want. Like, everything about Adia Barnes that weekend just looks so good upon her leading this program. Oh, yeah. I mean, and that, and that also showed her passion mm-hmm. and her love for the University of Arizona, for her team, and that, right, she would, she's going to war with those kids, and that's it. And who doesn't want to play for a coach like that? You know, going forward, it's it's great on the recruiting trail. She picked up a big-time transfer the other day from Vanderbilt, um, who's going to be a really good player. She, They only played eight games this year before they shut the program down 
for the season, but she was averaging nearly a double-double, which is huge. Um, and she had a really great freshman year. And I can only, I'm going to be talking to her soon, and I can only imagine that she will be a great addition to this team. Idea Barnes has picked up really great transfers every year who have added something special to the team and who have really changed the trajectory. I mean, we're not even talking about the Ari McDonald transfer or the, you know, along with that, the Dominique McBride and the T.T. Starks who really started the turnaround, right? But also, um, you know, Amari Carter last year was a big, um, was a big piece of this team. And of course, this year, Trinity Baptiste and, um, and Ben Duyaney. I mean, they're um, all phenomenal players and really good people on and off the court. And it just adds to their culture and keeps their culture growing in the right and going in the right direction. All of that's really important for today, tomorrow, and, and you know, really the future of this program and, and sets this team up to, as we were talking about it, this is not the first time they're going to be there. This is just the beginning. Yeah, I think, you know, I found myself watching during those games in awe of the force that is Adia Barnes that is also a quietly confident, well, not even quietly confident, just true confidence and not justifiably confident. You know, passionate, but still, you know, like resilient and resolved and never off balance. Um, And you talked about how great of a leader is in in a, you know, a a ceiling shatterer as a leader, uh, a female role model. I, I personally found myself um, very thankful and appreciative as the uncle to two young nieces that grow up in Tucson that they have somebody like her to look up to. Uh, but like I think you mentioned, and you kind of started to touch on it, PJ, you know, parents of players and players that are in the transfer portal and high school players right now, boy, you got to think Adia Barnes is voicemail is full right now of people that are interested in coming and filling spots. You talked about one of the, the transfers that's coming in. Uh, I think, you know, Ari McDonald is, is leaving, but Sam Thomas is coming back. It seems Trinity Baptiste is uncertain if, if, if she will be coming back or not. She's um, leaving. She's is it announced? filed her papers for the WNBA draft. Oh, okay. I think that's the, the transfer that came in the, a day or two ago is probably filling her spot in the, the lineup, right? Yeah. Um, but what, you know, what's your view next year going into this? Like, it's a fairly talented team. Obviously you have impossible shoes to fill in Ari McDonald. Uh, but you know, you have players like Shana Pellington, Poeo, uh, some, you know, maybe some grad transfers. Like there's not a lot of holes on the roster, but you have to, but you have to replace a lot of star power in Ari McDonald. What's your view for, for next season for this roster? Sure. The, the first thing I have to say right off the bat is that, Ari McDonald is a once-in-a-generation player, and, and you will never replace her. You you will find pieces that will work, and, and the team, yes, will be different next year. It will be a lot different because it's, it's because Ari's not there, right? So it'll look a lot different. But, um, yeah, there, there's, there's so many good pieces. I mean... First of all, it all starts with Sam Thomas, who's the glue of the program. She is um, one of the best defenders in the country who is not recognized as one of the best defenders in the country because she just goes out and does her job and isn't flashy. 
Um, maybe next year some more people will see that besides folks in the Pac-12. Um, you can only hope that because she should be up for like so many national awards uh, and not just the scholar, the student athlete of the year, which is amazing um, that she was able to win that award. But but on the court, too, she she should be up for those awards. But then you look at um, Kate Reese um, and she will definitely you know, she's getting stronger every year and she will come back as a force next year, especially the one great thing about this summer is they get summer development, which is what they missed last year, which is really hard. And that's part of the time when Adia Barnes really shines is the development of these players. So to get from July to to like the beginning of September, to just all out practice and do skill development is really important for this team um, and for this program. Um, so besides that, you have Lauren Ware, who's going to be a star in this league. And um, you could see a little bit of it this year. I mean, she was a freshman who's coming off of an injury and didn't play for a year. And her injury, which is an ACL, and I think she had her MCL, um, Adia Barnes had the same thing and Adia said it really takes a full two years to come back so I can only imagine what Lauren Ware is going to look like next year um, on top of that you have Ben Duyaney who um, is a great defensive player and I think her offense will just get better as she sort of lets the game come to her a little bit more and doesn't rush I think that was a little bit of what we saw this year. Um, and I think she will slow down. Uh, Shayna Pellington, as you mentioned, you know, she's on the Canadian national team. Um, and at the end of the season, during this NCAA run, she really started to come through and, and really start putting things together. For her, it was just, you know, she didn't play for a year. And was still learning the system. And she said early on, just have patience with me. I'll get there. And she did on the biggest stage in the biggest game. She had a tremendous game. So you have them. Helena Poyo is only going to get better. Um, when she, when those threes are, are, you know, she's knocking those down. Those are really important to the team. And she's a great defender, too, with those long arms. She's always getting tips and steals. Um, there's a few people on the bench who didn't get a lot of time this year because you have the, the Ari McDonald's and the Sam Thomases who play 31 minutes a game, right? So Darren Erdogan is another point guard. Um, she looked really great this year. Um, and she's going to come on and be strong. Maddie Connor, the 17 year old freshman. Ooh, she's a bucket and she's gonna she's just gonna do that all next year and a um, couple of big uh, um, recruits coming in I mean they really have some really great pieces that once they come together and they have that off-season training um, it's gonna be a really fun team to watch next year I was going to say, before we let you go, P.J. Brown from the Arizona Daily Star who was covering the Arizona women's basketball team their final four national championship game run just how much fun did this team have from your perspective doing this? Because it seemed like there was no pressure on them. And then at the same time, 
how much fun did you have covering this team? So a two-part question to let you go here, because from our perspective, obviously, this was a blast. I know Arizona fans who it's been a I mean, it's been a tough year even if you're not an Arizona fan, but if you're an Arizona fan, you know, that hasn't been the easiest for some of the sports that you probably follow. And here comes this women's basketball team that we knew was good, led by one of the all-time Wildcat greats, and they just kept winning and winning and winning, got the whole fan base, the whole city behind them. I imagine it felt like probably could have been a lot of pressure. It didn't look like they felt it. But then I guess I'll go back. How much fun did they have from your perspective? How much fun did you have covering them? Sure. Um, I don't think there's another team in the country that had as much fun as the Arizona Wildcats. They were loose. They were playing with house money. They just didn't care, right? They were just like us against the world. And either you jump on our bandwagon or you don't, but we're going to do this thing. Um, I think the second team that had a lot of fun was Stanford. So I will say that they seem to be having fun, but not the kind of fun that Arizona had. I mean, (laughs) it was just, you could just see the smiles on their faces that this was the greatest thing that they were living out their dream. Um, And that was pretty cool for me to cover this was pretty special. Um, not only because I've covered, you know, the whole idea Barnes era from day one of her, you know, the first game of, of her career here at Arizona, but, um, also because, you know, as you talk about it being a tough year for everyone, it was a tough year for me because I typically go to practices. So I see how Adia Barnes and Salvo Copa teach this team what they do on the court, right? So I see it translate from, from the vision sort of to what happens. I also see the great things that happen in practice. So like last year, I saw Shana Pellington going up against Ari McDonald all the time in practice. And wow, I couldn't wait to see see them play together this year. And then, um, and then not to be able to go to practice and not to be able to attend the games. Um, That made things harder for me, but to be able to shout out to my editor, Ryan Finley, who is the greatest editor in the entire world. The fact that he sent me for the last three games of the season of anybody's season Um, And I got to go in person and watch that unfold and be, as they say, in the room when that happened. There's nothing better than that. There really isn't. You you provided such great coverage that we enjoyed following along, too. And you mentioned earlier that you have some things coming out in the next few days before about basketball for you transition to softball. P.J. Brown, Arizona Daily Star. You can follow you on Twitter at P.J. Brown 09. You say you're the other P.J. Brown but as far as Wildcat Radio 2.0 is concerned, you are the P.J. Brown. So thanks for joining us again. We'll catch up with you another time down the road because, obviously, Arizona wins basketball is not done. Softball is always, always a great time, too, one of the more dominant programs in the country. And certainly we'll want to talk about that, too. So, P.J., thanks again for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right, and we come back. Arizona basketball never stops, men and women's. Let's talk about it all. So, Brett, that was <laughs> – it's kind of the juxtaposition between the men's basketball program and the women's basketball program. On the one hand, we're talking about in the first segment, oh, man, like they, they it's going to be tough on this new coach. Like it's going to be close. Like they better, they better nail this higher. 
And then we talk about the women's basketball. It's like, yep, they got the right coach. They're on a great path. Everything's looking good. PJ, of course, reaffirmed that. And the programs couldn't be more different in terms of where they're at right now in their evolution. You, you know how much I hate the narratives, but boy, it's the, the time of the year for narratives, and they could not be more opposite. Um, <laughs> you know, everything is 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 great. Adia Bar- and rightfully so for the women's team. You know, Adia yeah. Barnes is a is is a boss. You know, mm-hmm. let her coach both men's and women's teams. I think she could do it and do it well. <laughs> she doesn't need to sleep. Um, you know, she's a she's a she's superhero. not that busy. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a tale of two cities. You know, we've got women's team going crazy, and then we're also now in the in the in the in the big revenue sports. You got football and basketball hiring a new coach in the same year. It's a fascinating time for uh, Arizona fans. Yeah, well, the women's team though. Uh, PJ referenced Coy Love, who they got from Vanderbilt to transfer. She just looks like, I mean, what a get. You know, and yeah. probably part of what happens when you go on a tournament run like the Wildcats did, she averaged nearly 21 points and 10 rebounds a game with Vanderbilt last season before opting out after eight games. So that, yeah, what a great addition. Conversely, uh, K.J. Simpson, who is going to be one of Arizona's freshmen this upcoming season, has asked out of his letter of intent and is reopening his recruitment. Most people expect him to go to UCLA, which, great. But that's, that's the difference, right? When you have one program that's as stable and rising, another one that's in flux, these things happen. Um, so expect more from the women's just lo- reloading. You know, they have to replace Ari McDonald, which is not going to be easy. They have to replace Trinity Baptiste. They've already kind of worked on that. But like BJ said, they're going to be a different team. You're going to be a different team anytime you lose someone like Ari McDonald. But it doesn't mean you're going to be worse. It doesn't mean you're not going to be good. The men's team, first they got to hire their coach, which, again, <laughs> recording on April 8th. By the time you listen, maybe they have hired their coach. But first you got to hire your coach, then you got to – keep the roster or build the roster. And with the transfer portal being what it is, even if they lose players, they're going to be able to find new ones. Like that's not going to be an issue. The transfer portal has been crazy. And even Arizona, they added a guy too. Like right before Sean Miller was fired, they added a transfer to the roster. I I feel bad for Kim Aiken Jr. who came from Eastern Washington. He commits and then the next day his coach is fired. But like that's just how this is in men's college basketball with the transfer portal, but Arizona, of course, right now and until they hire a coach, and even in the days and weeks that follow their hiring of a coach, will probably experience it in a way that is unfamiliar to the program. Yeah, it's gonna be, uh, you know, until the until that coach is in place, the, the roster is gonna probably be a source of consternation for Arizona fans. Uh, oh, it's and maybe even, even a source afterwards. of consternation every year. Like it yeah. doesn't matter <laughs> if they have a coach or not. Well, I mean, look at uh, the last two years. You know, Sean Miller pulled a competent roster almost out of a hat uh, the last couple of years in terms of filling it with, you know, creative things of transfers, guys from Europe. Yeah. But, you know, it's Arizona basketball never stops. It, it never, never stops. stops. <laughs> <laughs> Just because Arizona basketball doesn't stop doesn't mean we don't have to. We, we could give a shout out to the Arizona baseball. Uh, beat ASU three out of four games over the weekend. That was nice. I think the last game was what fourteen to two. Um, yeah, I think I think Michael, friend of the show, Michael Lev said uh, it's no seventy to seven, but it's fourteen to two. I didn't see someone though who did like the math. Like if every run is worth seven points, then Arizona won what like ninety eight to fourteen. So take that, Sun Devils. <laughs> totally the same. 
<laughs> basically. So, like, a lot of stuff going on with Arizona Athletics, of course. Basketballs, look, men's basketball is looking for a new coach. Women's basketball is looking to reload. Uh, baseball is getting rolling. Softball, of course, PJ referenced them too. Like, they're gonna, they're always good. So we're gonna have a lot to talk about there. Um, but I think that should do it for this show, though. This was, this was good. It was stressful, but it was good. That's, yeah, it, I mean. It, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the Arizona <laughs> basketball. <laughs> the Arizona basketball of times. Um, make sure you're following us on Twitter at Wildcat Radio AZ. Brett's often on that platform, sending out the good stuff there, like he references on this show. And, of course, the more that happens within the programs, the more that you're going to see there. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, on Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us there. Make sure you subscribe. Review us if you like us. If you don't like us. You should like us. We're delightful. <laughs> but anyway, we appreciate you listening. And until next time, when we're hopefully talking about a new men's basketball coach, remember to bear down. Bear down. <laughs>